Welcome to the Money Answer Show with host Jordan Goodman. Whether you are starting out, deep into your retirement, or somewhere in between, the Money Answer Show has the know-how to help you. Now here's your host, Jordan Goodman. Welcome to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Aaron Nanini. He is the author of a book called Cash Uncomplicated, A New Mindset to Building Wealth. Welcome to the Money Answer Show, Aaron. Hey, thank you very much, Jordan. Happy to be here. Just give us a little bit of your background leading into writing this book. Yeah, so I was, you know, all throughout my 20s and early 30s, I was pretty much a financial disaster. I was the classic paycheck to paycheck story where, you know, money in, money out, money in, money out. And I did this for a really long time. And I I finally realized, Jordan, that that was not the way to go. I got tired of it. I got tired of the debt, got tired of not being able to invest. And I also got tired of just watching other people excel when I was, you know, just kind of staying stagnant. So I, you know, long story short, I got into some various books, talked to some different people, and it really opened my eyes as far as what I've been missing and then what I can what I can move towards. So read read a ton of books. My finances really turned around, went from pretty much zero to, you know, a lot more in net worth, bought a few properties, bought some rental properties. And after that, I, you know, I saw some people around me who, were making a lot of money mistakes. And I saw that they were doing a lot of the same things <clears throat> that I had been doing before. But but you know as well as I, like, you don't want to be too preachy. And so I decided rather than being preachy and kind of giving unsolicited advice, why not just write a book? So I gave it a start, um, you know, kind of wrote page to page. And then by the time I got to, you know, right around page 36, 40, right, right in that area, I, I really realized, hey, I've got something here. So I finished it up, um, published the book, and kind of the rest is where we are now. Very good. So let's talk about the mindset. You talk about needing a new mindset. What is the mindset most people are in now that needs to be changed? I think the mindset now around money, and this is the mindset that I had, was just confusion. And, oh, I'll turn it over to someone else, or, you know, my parents didn't do well with money, so I'm not supposed to either. And you just get into that. I kind of rut and the years go by and the decades go by and you're really making no progress. And so that's why I really wanted to create that new mindset to go from that paycheck to paycheck, the rut to realizing, you know what, if I automate a little bit of money every month, I can start investing. I can start saving. I can do all those things that you think are really only for the rich. And it's not as hard to do as, as you think it is. You talk about mindset and values. What are some of the values that people need to get to the correct mindset? Yeah, I, I think that's a kind of individual choice. And so what I, what I look at is something, and this is a term kind of thrown, thrown around, is value-based spending. And basically that's really going through your own life and finding out what you truly value. And those are the things you should be spending money on. All the rest of it is things you don't value. And so if it's not a necessity, those are the things you should not be spending on. So I'll give you an example. Like I'm into health and fitness. So for me, spending money on, you know, good quality food and a gym membership, those are all things that I value and they're important to me. So I'm going to spend money on those. What I don't value is like a really nice brand new car. So I don't have a brand, you know, a brand new nice car. And so it's really everyone individually should go through, you know, their top four or five things, pick out what they really value spend on those things, and then what they don't value, discard those. And what, you know, and doing that exercise with a lot of people is they find, you know what, I've got like 10 or 15 things I don't really care about that I'm spending on. 
And th- those are the easy cuts. And so, and so for me, you know, you hear a lot of kind of personal finance experts talking about cut, cut, cut. And I don't think you should necessarily have to cut a bunch of things. What I do think that you can eliminate is the things you don't value. So that makes it a lot easier for people to go through their finances, go through their spending, and then really keep what they want and get rid of the things they don't want. So this big movement today called the FIRE movement, financially independent, retire early. Are you a believer in the FIRE movement? Yeah, that's, that's a really good question. I was actually just listening to a podcast on the way over here, and I'm a big part. I'm a big believer in the FI part, so the FI part. I, I really believe in, <clears throat> excuse me, financial independence. The retire early, I think for me, is not as important because I always want to work and I always want to do some kind of activity. So maybe that's going to look like, you know, continue to work a full time job or maybe cutting my hours back, possibly taking some time off. So I think the financial independence pieces are super important. The RE part of the of the fire is not as critical. And the the beauty of the fire movement for me is that there's so much versatility in it. You know, you can choose to can you can be financially independent and choose to work because that's what you love to do. Or you can cut back hours, you can take a year sabbatical. There's so many options in your life when you are financially independent. And so that's what I love about that movement. And again, the RE part, you know, I've heard it hijacked from you know, different people too, is kind of eliminate the RE and change it to like transition to something else or like barista fire or something like that. So you're saying that a lot of people who currently are not financially independent could be so if they followed the advice in your book, Cash Uncomplicated. Is that, it's, they've got that potential that they may not think they have. Is that what you're saying? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I, I make no promises that, you know, read this book and in three months you're going to be financially independent and rich and living on a yacht. What, what I do believe, though, is if you consistently implement the principles from this book, within a five to 10 year time period, you're going to be either financially independent or really close to it or really, really on your way on the right path. And you're going to see that trajectory. So for me, it's, you know, I'm not any gimmicks or any schemes. It's more do this consistently over time and the results will come. So you talk about budgeting and saying it's not about deprivation, depriving yourself of things. Uh, It's about frugality. And we talked about value-based spending a bit, but what is the difference between the way people see budgeting and kind of the right way to do it so you're not in, in constant deprivation mode? Yeah, that, that's a great question because budgeting is almost like the B word, right? People hear it and they get scared away and they, they want to just kind of quit from there. So the way I look at budgeting, and I know we already talked about it, but I think it naturally ties in with value-based spending. And so, again, it's looking at your values. Keep what you want to keep. So start with that. Whereas many budgets, they're going to ask you to cut first. And I don't, I don't like the cutting first because that does feel like deprivation. You know, if you're someone who loves going to a ball game or to a football game or the theater or something, and someone says, you know, you've got to cut all this out, well, that's a chore. And nobody wants to be – no one has, wants to do a chore, so they naturally quit and they stop doing it. Whereas if you approach budgeting where you're going to be – where it's an empowering approach where you're going to be able to keep what you want, and then eliminate what you don't want. It makes budgeting a lot easier. So it's kind of a kind of a reframe to budgeting. Um, just cause, again, I think that traditional is you know you got to cut everything and then leave live on rice and beans, beans and rice, and you know potatoes. And that's not the case. I mean, a lot of people would say 
that they spend money on what they like. And it would be very hard for them to look at their spending and identify things that they don't like or don't think they need one way or the other. And their income is not enough to match those spending habits. And so they're behind the eight ball. What do you say to people like that? Yeah, I think there's a couple of approaches to that. One is I would really challenge that, that thought that you're spending on everything you like. Because when people really go through it, they realize, you know what, there's these three or four things that I really like and I want to keep spending on. There's some other things where I don't want to spend on. And those are fairly easy cuts. Where it gets more challenging is kind of the old phrase of, you know, champagne taste on a beer budget. And so that that is a more challenging conversation. So take, for example, someone making, let's say, 50000 a year. And they love to take $15,000 vacations and they want to buy a brand new car and they want to get a house that's, you know, $1.2 million. Well, that's not realistic. So I think it's important to have have those conversations about this is this is how much money you have. We've kind of identified some things you like. Let's keep a couple of those. There's some other things on this list that are not really realistic for you at this point. So you have a choice. You can try to make more money or you can try it or you're going to have to just not not have those things for a while. So it does take some honest assessment and I'm not sure about you, Jordan, but I, I feel like this is not always a conversation with a fix that takes five, 10 minutes. A lot of times it's, you know, multiple sessions and different hours and kind of reframing and going through it again and having those conversations and having some pauses. And then people start to realize, you know, this is where we're at. Yeah. How do you think the recent experience of the last three years or so where people went through the deprivation of COVID and then coming out of that, and then the inflation and the rising interest rates has impacted people's budgets. Oh gosh, that's a loaded question. (laughs) Number one, I think it's very confusing for people. You know, the, the first part is people, you know, anyone under the age of, you know, 80, 90 have not been through a pandemic in this country. The last one was what, 1919. So people, have not experienced and I think at least for me, if you you said the word pandemic five years ago, I would say, Oh, that's nothing. I nothing to worry about. It's gonna be cured or fixed quickly. So I think this is really the first time where it was it was actually serious for people where they did have some serious consequences and there was some job loss, there was income loss for people, there was loss of freedoms as far as being able to move out and about. So that that's the first part of it. And then with the inflation and all that, inflation is also something we haven't seen in a really long time. And that was kind of a, a word we'd hear now and then, but it wasn't too impactful. We'd see 2 3% inflation. But all of a sudden, when, you, when you, you're going to buy a car and you're wanting to spend 20000 and that car is now 29000 like that hits you pretty quickly. So I think this is the first time people are seeing, number one, that pandemic, and then number two, the inflation that's followed after, you know, after the money was, was printed. So it's, it's confusing for people. Um, you know, a lot of people I've talked to are still trying to wrap their head around that and figure out where they're going to go from there. And, you know, from, for me, my answer is really to continue to do some research, take some action, understand you're going to make some mistakes, but keep going the, um, because these are uncharted waters. And how about the rising interest rates, particularly as it affects borrowing? I mean, credit card rates are up to like 20%. Mortgages are over 7%. Mm-hmm. A year ago, like half of that, or, you know, at least mortgages were. How has that affected people's behavior? Oh, easily. I think it's really changed people's goals and perceptions. So as an example, you know, a year ago, you want to go buy a house 
or maybe a little more in a year. You're at, what, 3.2, 3.5 at the highest. And so I think a lot of people saw those rates, and they've been used to them for so long, they just assumed it was going to continue. And all of a sudden, those rates go to 4%, 5%, 6%, and then you know 7% plus. And for a lot of people looking to buy a home, that just took them out of the game, where they quite honestly gave up on it. And a lot of people I'm talking to are saying, you know, I'm going to just save some more money and see if these rates go down, which may or may not be the right approach. But it is shocking for people because, again, there were so many years where the interest rate rates were in the either threes or the, the high twos. And I think there was just this assumption it was going to continue forever and ever, and, that, and that's not happening. And then as far as the credit card, that really comes as a shock for people as well because if they were carrying consumer debt for you know multiple years, they're used to certain payments, and all of a sudden that skyrockets to, you know, as you said, 20% plus, and now your monthly payments are much higher. That's also, that kind of, and I know this wasn't part of the question, but I kind of get on the soapbox about consumer debt. I think that's why, for me, consumer debt is such a dangerous thing, is that you're leaving yourself vulnerable to those rate hikes, and you're always in that hole and always trying to dig out of it, and you're leaving that control to someone else. So, like my, one of my number one pieces of advice for people is get out of consumer debt because then at least you're getting back to zero and getting yourself out of that out of that situation where others control you and you're going to be putting more and more money onto the credit card and your minimum payment. Yes, very good. We're going to take a break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Aaron Nanini. He's done a book called Cash Uncomplicated, A New Mindset to Building Wealth. You can find out more at his website, which is cashuncomplicated.com. We'll be back after this. Nobody likes the guy who says, I told you so. The guy in 1991 who said to you, invest in the internet, it's gonna be huge. Or the guy in 1997 who said, come on, this is gonna be big. They call it social media. And the guy in 2009 who said, I'm telling you, man, crypto is real. Now. I'm not going to be that guy who says, I told you so, but I am telling you that there is a 21-year-old international company where you can become a global project partner, earning a passive income doing exactly what you're doing at this moment. No selling, no recruiting clients, no administering a business after hours. Visit www.mypassiveincome.life now. That's mypassiveincome.life. Don't let history repeat itself on this one. Earn a passive income. Now listen again. That's mypassiveincome.life. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective, plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at blog.voiceamerica.com. That's blog.voiceamerica.com. The Voice America Press Blog. All access, all the time. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. 
You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Aaron Nanini. Uh, he is the author of a book called Cash Uncomplicated, A New Mindset for Building Wealth. And you can find out more about him and his work at cashuncomplicated.com. Welcome back to the show, Aaron. Hey, thanks so much, Jordan. So you talk about you should not compare yourself to the Joneses because the Joneses might be broke. Is that it? The people who are not doing well hide it and kind of put on a false front and, and it draws other people into spending more than they should? Is that what you're saying? I, you know, that's exactly what I'm saying. And it's, it's so easy these days in the last, what, 20 years with social media where you or I can put, you know, make a post, we can edit it, we can put on nice filters, and we can stand in front of a beautiful car. And I can say all day that that's my car, that's what I'm doing, I'm making all this money. And there's really no way to filter that. There's no way to identify what's real and what's not. And so <clears throat> what ends up happening is an ordinary person looking at that who went to work that day and fed the dog in the morning, got the kids to school. And they're like, what is wrong with me? I see my friend Billy over here. He's doing all these amazing things and posting on social media and I'm just doing the daily mundane thing. And so now I want to try to go keep up with that. When in reality, the friend is, it's a total facade. It's not true. And so there's no way really to filter what's true and what's not. And so that's what's so dangerous. I think about, you know, not only just social media, but just other people who talk about their money, because everyone loves to talk about their success, but no one's really going to talk about their failure. So if someone, you know, made 50000 on Bitcoin two years ago, they're not going to tell you that they also lost, you know, 38000 in the in the last year or so. It just doesn't happen that way. So we all, we're playing the wrong game. We're playing the game of other people are giving us their best. And then we're looking at our worst and our average saying, well, why am I not like that? And that's not a good game to play. And the whole social media experience intensifies uh, the comparison to others in a way that in the past, people didn't tell you all the details. They might see the house from outside, but they wouldn't tell you all the parties and the vacations and all that. So it kind of intensifies the jealousy with social media. Oh, for sure. I, I agree with you. I think it really magnifies it. Because you're right, you know, 30 years ago, people, maybe people would take a picture of a party or a bunch of people in front of the house, but now it's routine where people are, are doing that. And so, you know, the average person is sitting on a Saturday afternoon saying, well, why, why am I not at this pool party or why am I not here? And it's just not, a lot of it's just not true. So what you're saying is people should not be, be sucked into this and compare themselves to others. Is that, that's maybe difficult to do, but that, you're saying that's... <laughs> what people should do. Yeah, yeah, easier said than done. And so I think, I mean, I, I don't want to bash on social media too much. I think there's some value to it. There's, you know, it's really easy to connect with like-minded people. So like you and I, for example, Jordan, we're both in the, you know, fin financial independence movement. And so it's nice to be able to connect with pe people with the same language and the same knowledge and, you know, who might be able to share useful posts and articles. Where it really does get dangerous is where people are putting out that in, out you know, lies or kind of fabricating some things about themselves. And then we compare. So yeah, my, my answer to that is we should not be comparing ourselves to others because it's just not, it's not a fair game. Yeah. 
So the next thing you say is you have to get out of the paycheck to paycheck trap uh, by automating savings and paying yourself first. I mean, this sounds like your grandmother, I guess, always says pay yourself first, but you're saying <laughs> there's some wisdom in that. Yeah, it's, you know, and I, I admit it, I think it's old fashioned advice, but a lot of the old fashioned advice is also really good advice. And that's advice that I ignored for many years. And the results for me struggling and being paycheck to paycheck and having really no good viable financial future. But when I went back to the timeless principles like pay yourself first and to automate, things started to change. So like even if you look at a book like Richest Man in Babylon, even though that was written in the 1920s, that information today is just as relevant as it was then as it is today. And so, you know, with human behavior, it's really hard to get a paycheck or a salary, whatever it may be. And then spend your money and then take what's left over and, and invest it. The way to do it psychologically is really take that money first, invest the money first, also put it into your savings, and then what's left over is yours to spend for the month. And when you do that, you know, the quote-unquote paying yourself first, the investment's already done. By, you know, by the time the calendar reaches the fourth or fifth of the month, you've already done your investing. And you don't have to worry about the rest of the month other than, you know, staying under your means and not getting into consumer debt. So that's why I really like that advice. And I, I definitely agree with you that, yeah, that's grandmother's advice or great-grandmother's. But these are timeless principles, and I think they're going to be just as timeless in 100 years, 200 years from now. So what are some specific ways to automate savings? I mean, putting money into a savings account, you pretty much earn zero. So that's not getting your head very much. Are you talking about dollar cost sure. averaging mutual funds or 401ks? Or what are some practical ways that people can automate their savings? Yeah, I think there's a few ways to do it. And I, I don't offer people specific investment advice as far as investing in this product. But, yeah, let's use, let's use a Roth IRA, for example. So if someone puts $500 at the start of every month into their Roth IRA, by the end of the 12-month cycle, you're going to be at $6,000. And I think now the max is 6500 So kind of you can adjust and add a little more. The point being, if you just put that money into the Roth IRA continually, by the end of a year, you're going to have, you know, $6,000, $6,500. And that can go for stock. It can go for stocks and go to index funds. It can, you can even create a fund for real estate using, you know, like a high-yield savings account. So whatever investment you choose, that research is kind of on you or maybe find some other experts. But what I try to get people to do, like my role in this is really the psychology of and then taking the action on paying yourself first. So that's hopefully that's tangible enough. You know, if I can give more, that would be helpful. What do you think of cash value life insurance as a way of saving in a tax-free environment? You know, you know, I really don't have, I don't know a lot about that product. And so I'm, I'm not qualified to speak on it. I know it's something I personally don't do. Um, I know some people who do, you know, who do invest in that, and they, they they definitely advocate for it. But I just don't have enough information one way or the other to, you know, to give an honest opinion about it. Yeah. Okay. So you say in addition to saving, you have to reallocate your money to create long-term wealth. Are you talking about rebalancing your portfolio, or what do you mean by reallocating your money? Yeah, so by that, here's, here's what I mean. So let's, let's take, for example, someone who is trying to build up a six-month emergency account. Okay, so let's say they're at month two or three. So now they're, gonna, they're building it up, building it, building it up, and after a year, they've got six months saved. 
if they've been saving, let's say, $600 a month towards that emergency fund, that $600 now no, no longer needs to go consistently to the emergency fund. You can reallocate that to an investment. So now you're investing an additional $600 because your emergency fund's already taken care of. So that's what I mean by reallocating. Another thing I mean by reallocating is, and this is really common for W-2 employees, when you get pay raises, so using, you know, just to use even numbers, if someone's making an additional $100 a month starting in in August, that's where you want to reallocate that money. So now you're going to automate it to an investment account. So now you're investing an additional $100 per month because you have a new paycheck and a new a new amount of money. So there's different ways to do it. There's also, this is very common, someone putting money towards consumer debt. Well, once they have that consumer debt paid off, they don't need to keep putting money towards the consumer debt. So that money all goes into something new. So someone putting $500 into their credit card, credit cards paid off, now that money goes straight to investments. And the reason I really encourage people to reallocate is if you don't reallocate, that money just kind of gets lost. So you used to do a great job paying off that debt, paying the 500 a month, but now it's like a no man's land. So you've got to create a new job for it. And for me, that's just reallocation into an investment or a savings, you know, towards an emergency fund. As far as investing is concerned, uh, are you a believer in passive investing and index investing, or do you think you can do better in active whether it be a mutual fund or picking stocks yourself? You know, I do, I do a bit of both. So for, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty heavy into real estate. So that's kind of my, kind of the area that I know well and where I feel like I can beat the 10% with, you know, with leverage, with leverage money. So that's my first thing. So that's, that's fairly active. Like as an example, just today, I'm having to email back and forth with my property manager about, um, kind of a, a fix that we're doing. I also believe in index funds. So for stocks, I don't, I don't buy individual stocks myself. What I do is just put it in an index fund. So that's kind of the way I invest is I'm heavy into real estate and then I invest the rest into index funds. But I, I really do stay away from stock picking or individual stocks. Just, you know, the main reason for that is I've read so much different research on various stock picker, pickers who, yeah, they beat, they beat the market for a few years. But after a time period, seven, eight, nine years, the S&P always, pretty much always wins. Um, it's also advice that Warren Buffett gives. So I, you know, I, I tend to listen to what he has to say about index funds. That's, that's really the route that I go for, for my, my own investment. You're in the passive investment camp. Very good. We're going to take a break. Yeah. Uh, more, yes, go ahead. Yeah, I would definitely say I'm more in the passive investment, minus the real estate, which, which is active, where you're having to buy and then make decisions and figure out when, when you want to keep things or when you, when you want to sell them. Yes, yes, very good. Okay, we're going to take another break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Aaron Nanini. Uh, he is the author of a new book called Cash Uncomplicated, A New Mindset to Building Wealth. You can find out more at his website, Cash Uncomplicated. Com. We'll be back after this. Stocks, bonds, investment opportunities, financial news, and talk. We can help. Call us now toll-free, 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Do you or 
someone you love have a life insurance policy that's no longer needed or not affordable? Did you know that you can sell your policy for cash? Your reason for buying life insurance has probably changed. Thousands of Americans turn to life insurance settlements to help sell their policies. They act as your representative, getting the highest market offer for you. You've got nothing to lose by simply inquiring. If you're over 64 with $100,000 or more of life insurance, you may already qualify. Call 877-485-6681 to get your free non-binding appraisal or visit FundingLife.com. Life Insurance Settlements. Discover the true value of your life insurance. 877-485-6681. Jordan Goodman is an affiliate. He recognizes quality solutions, forming relationships to help improve the lives of his listeners. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics, reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Aaron Nanini. He is the author of a book called Cash Uncomplicated, A New Mindset to Building Wealth. You can find out more at his website, cashuncomplicated.com. Welcome back to the show, Aaron. Hey, thanks, Jordan. Enjoying it. So you uh, differentiate between good debt and bad debt. Uh, so tell me what is good debt and what's bad debt and how do you get out of bad debt? Yeah, yeah. So for me, good debt is any kind of debt that's going to make you money. So for, for my situation, that's pretty much going to be real estate debt. And I'll give an example. So if there's a mortgage for, let's say, $1,000, including principal and interest and taxes, and then you're going to allocate some more for expenses and repairs and your, your CapEx expenses. Let's say that debt's $1,000 and you've got your other expenses. But if that property is coming, you know, making, let's say, 1700 a month, you're going to take the 1700 minus, you know, you're probably going to be around $1,300, $1,400. So you've got a positive cash flow in the neighborhood of three to $400. So for me, that's good debt because someone else is paying that debt off for you. Where we get into bad debt, and that's what, I really refer to, and I think most people, as consumer debt. So that's where you go to the store, you see a TV you really like, or a computer, you buy it, put on the credit card, but you don't have the money, so you're $900 in debt, and you start to pay the minimum balance. Well, that $900 TV turns into a lot more over the years. You know, you're looking more at 2000 3000 even more. And so that's really my main difference between good debt and bad debt. Um, again, the good debt's going to make you money. The bad debt is just that consumer debt where it's products that you like that's not providing any any monetary value for you as far as someone else, no one else is paying it off. It's all you. And those, those are the kind of debts that I think really spiral out of control for people because with, with credit cards especially, it's really easy. You know, you put X amount of money on the card. You think, oh, I only have to pay, let's say, $900. Well, the reality is at 20% interest plus, you're paying more, a lot more than 900 And so that just adds up. Then you go buy something else for 400 Then you buy groceries for 200 
and your debt quickly gets out of control, so you open another credit card. And I think that's really, really dangerous for people. And it gets them into a really bad, just a really bad trap where you're always trying to get out of debt rather than trying to grow and build. Where would you put student loan debt? Uh, where we've had this recent change where people were expecting ten to 20000 to be forgiven, and that was reversed by the Supreme Court. And now people are going to have to mm -hmm. start payments that they haven't had to make for the last three years because of COVID. Uh, is student loan debt in general, would you count it as good debt or bad debt? You know, that's, that's a great question. It's funny you ask because I, I think about that a lot. And my, my answer is really it depends. So I think for someone who has a degree where, like, say, an engineering degree, for example, where it's pretty clear-cut. You spend, you know, 150 on college, and you're going to make 80, 90 coming out of out of school, where, there, you know, there's a path to get out of that debt at that point, and it's, it's providing you new opportunities you wouldn't have had otherwise. They would go for, like, maybe law degree or medical school, even though those bills are really high. Where I think, where I think um, you know, student debt really turns dangerous, is for degrees where you don't actually have to have that degree. So a lot of the soft sciences, you really don't have to have that degree to get into the field. And so I feel bad for some people who are getting into, you know, $150,000, $200,000 of debt, and they're only going to make thirty, forty, fifty coming out of out of school, where if they never even went to school in the first place, they're going to make that same amount. So that's why, for me, the answer is it depends, you know, what your major is, what you're studying, what the graduate work is going to be. And I'll give, I'll give a real-life example as well. My, my wife is going to be going back to school. It's going to cost about $20,000 to get her admin credential. And when that's going to give her opportunities to be – she's in education, so she can be a principal. She can be like a program manager. She can be a variety of other things. And all those jobs pay a solid $30,000, $40,000 more per year. And so, like, the return on investments immediately there after year one, she will have already covered that, that $20,000 debt. Whereas, again, you know, some people in the soft sciences, it's, you're not going to make that up. And so people really need to, need to assess okay, how much is the debt going to be when I get out of school? What's this going to do for me? How much can I make? What's, you know, what are the new ceilings I've created for myself? So there's, it's really a multifaceted question. Do you think a lot of people, I mean, we're talking about 18 and 19-year-olds here making these decisions. It has consequences for 30, 40 years after that, and they probably mm -hmm. know how to balance their checkbooks yet, uh, that people are making yeah. these decisions on whether they should go to school at all or go to an expensive school or go to a community college or do an internship or something. Are they making these decisions better now because they see maybe their older relatives burdened with huge amounts of debt? That, that's, a, that's an amazing point. And to me, that's what's also really scary about student debt is that that story you just outlined is really common where you've got an 18, 19 year old kid who can, can't even legally buy beer and they're making these decisions that really will impact them for the next 30, 40 years. And so for me, that's really where ideally they're going to have parents or relatives or a mentor who can help guide them along. Because I know when I was 18, I, I had no idea of the consequences of student debt or you know, what, what that would look like. And when I was going to school, it's way, way less. So I guess the answer to your question is no, I don't think most 18 and 19 year olds grasp a lot of those concepts. And then secondly is let's get some either parents or mentors or some program to help these kids make that decision. 
And I know some colleges are doing this already where they're they're offering like financial counseling as far as when, when students are about to take out the debt, okay, if you do this, this is what it's going to mean. And they compare that to if you didn't take out the debt and just got a job, what your fun, what your finances would look like doing it that way. So it's, it's education. And I know in, you know, listening to some of your other shows as well, there's also the issue of in high school for most states, personal finance is not taught. So if it's not taught, there's not a foundation to go on. So again, you've got the 18, 19 year old kids with really minimal to no financial literacy making these big decisions. So I, I really look at education as a, a key point as far as in the earlier years, you know, high school years. And then for my own kids, I mean, I'm starting it now. It, they're both under the age of 10, but I want them to to really understand money and understand compound interest and debt and, you know, student loan debt and leveraging and all those things. Yeah. What would you recommend to people uh, who are expecting to have 10000 or potentially 20000 in student debt forgiven and disappear, and then the Supreme Court changes everything and now it's back on again. What would you suggest to those people? I, I would say, you know what, we're, we're in a new game now. We we thought we were in a game where we were going to get the 10000 in credit or 20000 and that's not happening right now, so we have to make a new plan. And I, I know that sounds maybe a little harsh, but it's, it, it is the reality. You know, we can't go back and say, well, I wish, because that's something that's not really in our control. We can't go back and say, oh, I wish I had $10,000 forgiven. Well, that's, right now, that's not happening. So it's time to make a new plan with the assumption it's not going to happen. Then if it does somehow, great. You're good. You've got a plan, and you get this bonus of the money paid off, but you really just have to pivot. A lot of people, 43 million people were expecting it, and now they're not getting it. So they're not... They were not planning on what actually ended up happening here. It's going to, some people say it could really address customer spending in a major way because people had spent the 10000 before they even got it. And, and now they, mm-hmm. they, not only are they going to have to pay the 10000 but now they're going to have to start paying the student loans they have not had to pay for over the last three years because of the kind of holiday because of COVID. So they're getting hit doubly on their student loans right now. Agreed. And I, and I really, I think that's a really tough position to be in. And I, I wish that didn't happen, but it, it, it did. And I, I definitely feel bad for, as you said, the millions of people in that situation. And it's time really kind of that. I always look at things that you can control and can't control. So for me, that's something I can't control, but I can control the new plan I'm making. And as disappointing as it, as it was to not have it forgiven, there, there has to be a new plan made. And it's not only the, the graduates, but their parents. In many cases, student loans were taken on by parents who are now in retirement or close to retirement. They thought they were going to get it forgiven as well. And So it's not only younger people who are getting hit by this reversal here. Oh, it's highly impactful. And then, you know, you bring up a great point, too, because I think we're, we're seeing for one of the first times where we have parents near retirement age who still have their own student loans. Yes. And now they're also absorbing their kids' education. So it's like not even a double whammy. It's like a triple, quadruple whammy, right? And then to not have the loans forgiven, it just adds on top of it. So it's really – I empathize I empathize with people. And it's one of the reasons I got into this space is because I want to help give my, my best knowledge and my be, you know kind of my best effort forward to help as many people as possible. But it's, it's a rough spot. It is. 
You also talk about the silent killer being financing luxury items and spending money while at work. What do you mean by that? Yeah, that goes, I mean, that kind of goes back to the earlier part of our conversation on social media and keeping up with the Joneses is it's really easy to finance things. So you or I could go to the store today and we can buy $15,000 worth of luxury goods or TVs or computers or furniture, whatever it may be. And I think people see that and they're under the assumption of, oh, Aaron paid for that or Jordan paid for it, when in reality, we didn't pay for it. It's, it's a new debt, and it's going to be compounding the wrong way for us. And so that's why I think it's a silent killer for people is they, they don't realize what they're doing, and they don't understand the interest rates, and it feels good at the time to have, have these new things, but then it's going to feel terrible in three, four months, a year from now, two years from now, when you're still paying that debt off, and it's, you're not making much progress at all. Specifically related to then, uh, uh, talking about car loans, uh, you say that there's a shocking cost of car loans. I mean, some cars like do zero percent financing, or you know they're offering incentives these days. What's so bad about car loans? Yeah, you know when I did the research for the for the book, I was actually really surprised at how bad it was. I, I mean, I've always known car loans are really really tough to pay off and bad. I think one thing I realized in writing the process of writing the book is that. There's also a really big psychological component to buying a car, and here's what I mean. So it's easy to go buy a car for $30,000 and finance it and see, you know, your monthly payments, I don't know, seven, dollars $800, $900. It's another thing entirely to go to the car dealer, pull out money from your pocket, and hand them $30,000 because that's that, that becomes real at that point, and it, I think it's hard to do. So that's why... I really am an advocate of paying cash for cars because for such a big purchase like that, it, it does hurt to pay all that cash. And if you're not willing to pay cash for the car, I don't think you should be financing that. Um, I guess where I differ is for home loans. I think homes, I mean, they're so exorbitantly high. You, you do have to get a loan on it. But for car loans, which are, you can get a car it's reliable for under $10,000. You don't have to go buy the $30,000 car or the $40,000 make. So that's why I really say take cash for cars and kind of feel that pain. And if you're willing to do it, great. You can buy the car. You can afford it. But if you're not, don't just add another eight, $900,000 loan to your name because that's, that's for five, six years, and it's going to inhibit your wealth, your wealth growing ability. It's also a depreciating asset. I like to say you buy things that appreciate, like real estate, and lease things that depreciate because you know the car is going to go down in value over time. Correct. Unless you're in that crazy time period right after COVID when cars, for the first time yes. in a long time, actually went up. But I think we're starting to see them go down again. So. We can't count on that anymore, yes. All right, we're going to take another no, break. No. <laughs> this is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Aaron Nanini. He's the author of a book called Cash Uncomplicated, A New Mindset to Building Wealth. His website, cashuncomplicated.com. We'll be back after this. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Are you a homeowner tired of making monthly mortgage payments with little progress towards paying down your principal? Does paying off your home in five to seven years without making larger or more frequent payments sound appealing? 
Paying off your home in full in five to seven years is really possible thanks to Truth and Equity's Mortgage Equity Optimization System, a money management approach that puts your money to work for you 24-7. If you own a home with some equity, have a decent credit score and verifiable income, you owe it to yourself to learn more about Truth and Equity's program. There's no need to replace your mortgage or refinance in many cases. The system works for new home purchases as well as current mortgages. Your home is your largest investment. Own it outright in five to seven years. Call Truth and Equity, 888-262-5540 or visit truthandequity.com, 888-262-5540. Jordan Goodman is an affiliate. He recognizes quality solutions, forming relationships to help improve the lives of his listeners. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour, Aaron Nanini, is the author of the book Cash Uncomplicated, A New Mindset to Building Wealth. His website, cashuncomplicated.com. Welcome back to the show, Aaron. Hey, thanks, Jordan. So let's talk about the role of money in a family, first of all, in dealing with your significant other, and then in dealing with your kids and teaching your kids about money. What are some tips you have there? Yeah, that's, that can be really challenging for people. I'm, I'm really lucky myself because my wife and I were on the same page about money for, for, for a long time. So we don't have you know the big money disagreements a lot of people do, but there's so many people out there who they, they come from different backgrounds. And then you kind of mesh together and you know, you fall in love and you get married and you, you didn't really talk about personal finances or money. And it becomes a really dangerous thing because that's where a lot of the fights start because, you know, one person maybe has the expectation that they're going to spend every paycheck and use the credit card and kind of, kind of go, you know, check to check where the other person maybe wants to invest a little bit or to, to have some savings. And so that's where a lot of the, the issues start. So I, I always recommend for people have a money conversation at some point. You know, I'm not saying like on the first date, ask someone their net worth or, you know, what their what their opinion on the, the stock market is. But at some point in the, you know, the first three, four months, try to get some feelers out about how your partner feels about money. I know for, for my wife and I, we, we had those conversations, you know, right around even month two or three where I knew she had no consumer debt. I knew she at the time didn't really have anything invested, but that was okay with me because we had a foundation of no consumer debt. So I was, we were on the same page there and I knew there was an upside for, for both of our salary, but it's as, as uncomfortable and awkward as the conversations can be. Imagine if you don't have them now, how awkward it's going to be in two years, three years, four years when you realize, Oh my gosh, we are on totally different stratospheres on money and we're, we're really far apart. Now, that's a lot more awkward than having it in three months. So, again, you know, have those money conversations at some point early, you know, two, three, four months. And then with, with kids, that's that's been a challenge, too, and it's been a humbling experience for me because I've got a four-year-old and a seven-year-old, almost, almost five, almost eight. And it's been humbling but also fun at the same time because I'm trying to, like, kind of entrench these little mini lessons in when we can. So, as an example, my girls like to go – they like to go make a commission. So one way they can do that is by picking weeds and then they can kind of show me how much they got. Oh, we'll work together. Then they can earn a commission. And then recently I've showed my girls like the money that they invested. I just have it like a, 
you know, a high yield savings account has actually made money. So I, I brought them over to the computer. I said, hey, girls, do you want to see kind of a magic trick where this money made more money and you didn't have to do any work? So even though they only have, you know, $1,500 in the account, they saw that during that month they made 20 cents, 30 cents. And even though that's, yeah, we all know that's not much money, but it was cool for them to see that that money grew without them having to do work. So that led to the conversation of when you invest, and I told them too, I'm going to get you into some better investments as well, that when you invest, you can make your money grow and you don't have to do the work. And then eventually you can just live off that money. And my oldest daughter kind of, I saw the light bulb go off as far as like, so I could, she said, no, oh, so I could like buy such and such or I could live off of it or do such things. So she was getting it. And so that was kind of cool and rewarding to see. But I, I think for parents, we have to continue those lessons all throughout childhood into the teenage years and look for informal opportunities and also have some kind of more formal opportunities. But that education has to be there. Otherwise, you're going to have your kid going to college and burning money on credit cards and really high student loans. So it really has to be there because I believe only like 14 or 15 states have personal finance classes in high school. And so for me, okay, that means I'm going to be doing it. Right. Um, so that's, that's right. my starting point. Right. When, when does it make sense to pay somebody to help you get your financial act together, to hire a financial planner or somebody like that? Because uh, it can be expensive, but it may pay off. When, when does it pay off to do that? Yeah, I think there's a few, there's different cases where it pays off. The first is if you're completely overwhelmed with money and you have really little to no education, but you know you should be investing in saving. I think it's good to reach out to a family financial advisor um, to get some help on that. Otherwise, you kind of get in this black hole where you get frustrated, maybe look online a little bit, but the knowledge and the background is not there. So that's where it really helps. I think another another place where it's really helpful is people who are even well-versed in personal finance, like like yourself and me, is to do like a checkup. So maybe go to a family advisor and say, hey, this is where I'm at. These are, these are my asset allocations. This is, you know, my, these are my loans. This is, this is kind of my situation. What do you think? And have them give you some ideas about what you can do. Cause I think for us, when, when we're in it and it's us, we get these blind spots that we just can't see. And a lot of times we would give different advice to other people if they're in a situation, but when it's us, we have those blind spots and we, we kind of just, keep going down the wrong road. So it's nice to get someone to, from a jep, and, you know, an objective viewpoint, really look at it and say, hey, this, this is something you should think about. What if you did A, B, and C? So those are a couple of reasons why I think it makes sense. And I, that comes with the knowledge that, yeah, I understand it's going to be expensive, and, but it, it, it can be worth it for, you know, depending on the situation. You, you say fee-only advisors, but they tend to deal with people who have you know, lots of money, not kind of the average person, because there's not enough money for them to, to work with. So, uh, maybe, I mean, there are hourly financial planners. There are other ways of doing it without somebody, you know, based on commissions. But the only planners tend to work with high-end people mostly. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of referring more to, like, hourly. And I, I've noticed, especially in the last three or four years, there are more hourly advisors available to help. Yes. And, yeah, that, that is expensive. But for someone who, who, who needs that help and who could really get a boost, I think it's worth the money. And, yeah, you're going to pay up front, but 
you'll you'll get the rewards in the back end of it. You have a chapter about the highest and best use of time. What can you tell us about mm -hmm. where to spend your time that's uh, best? Yeah, yeah. And that's something where I've, I've made that mistake many times. And I'll give an example. It's someone who maybe spends an hour, hour and a half on the weekends cutting their lawn. Well, you could probably pay someone $25 to cut your lawn. And if you can do something else, so maybe you're a plumber, right? You can, if you can go get a plumbing job for an hour and make 75 for that hour and then pay someone to cut your lawn, well, 75 minus 25 is $50. So you get to do something that you enjoy, that you're good at, where maybe you can acquire more customers. And so you're making $50 from that activity. Whereas if you chose to cut your lawn and not go do the plumbing work, you're, you're not using your highest and best use of time. So with that, I, I have a caveat as well. You may also decide, I just want someone to cut my lawn and I want to spend more time with my family, which, which is okay too, because time is money. And so you're, you're paying someone to get your time back. So there's a couple of different reasons to do that. And I was, you know, I, I kind of learned the hard way. I was someone for a long time who would try to do my own work and I'd mess up and then go to Home Depot, then come back and mess up again. And, you know, four hours later, five hours later, I had screwed up the project and I was frustrated. Now I'm like, okay, I'll pay someone two, three hundred dollars, and maybe I'll do something else for that time, or just spend the time with my family and kind of allocate it my budget. In, in the roughly two minutes we have left, why don't you kind of summarize the difference it'll make in people's life to follow some of the advice we've talked about in the last hour compared to the way most people live their financial lives? Yeah, yeah, it's a good question. You know, for me, these are. I wrote this book for myself when I was making the financial mistakes. And so these are all things that I've done, mistakes I've made. And they're also, I combine that with some of the timeless principles. So there's timeless principles such as automating your money, paying yourself first, um, investing X amount of dollars every month. And if you follow those, again, I know we talked about this at the beginning of the show. It's not, it's not going to be a get-rich-quick scheme. You're not going to go overnight from $0 in net worth to $5 million. But what's going to happen is you are going to make improvement. So you're going to go from zero to a couple hundred in your account to a couple thousand to the tens of thousands, and then your your money's going to begin to compound, and you'll really start to see a big difference. And within you know two three years, your current self will be unrecognizable to your former self yes. if you continue those habits and continue that that trajectory. Very good. Well, thanks so much. We've learned a lot. My guest this hour has been Aaron Nanini. His book is called Cash Uncomplicated, A New Mindset to Building Wealth. You can find out more at his website, cashuncomplicated.com. Thanks so much, Aaron. We learned a lot in the last hour. Jordan, thank you so much for having me. Thanks again. We'll be back next week with another edition of The Money Answer Show. Goodbye for now. Thank you for joining Jordan Goodman and the Money Answer Show. If you have a question for Jordan, please visit his website at www.moneyanswers.com. And be sure to tune in every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time right here on Voice America Business. See you next week.